0: This is Energy Voice Out Loud, leading the global energy conversation. I'm Alistair Thomas, and welcome to our podcast. We're joined this week by our Asia-Pacific editor, Damon Evans, and digital journalist, Hamish Penman. And as we record, we're just uh, days away now from the COP27 climate summit in Egypt. So with that in mind, we'll kick off this week with Damon and some discussion of, well, what appears to be a degree of, uh, well, Climate colonialism, Damon. This discussion with the G7 and some countries in Southeast Asia. Tell us, tell us more.
1: Yeah, it's uh, rattled a few nerves. Um, we we uh, ran a story earlier this week about the G7 offering uh, Vietnam and Indonesia fifteen billion to quit coal ahead of COP twenty-seven, and um, the G7 and its partners have uh, apparently made uh, multi-billion-dollar offers to wean Vietnam indonesia and india away from coal um these free deals have reportedly been under a negotiation for much of this year and at least two new partnerships could be announced during the cop 27 un climate talks in egypt which um are starting i think on the 6th of november this sunday yeah, gosh <laughs> time flies yeah it does it doesn't feel like a year since um last since we were talking about this in scotland last year but um yeah so back to Vietnam and Indonesia the talks have progressed to the point where initial cash offers of around 5 billion and 10 billion have been made respectively uh, according to confidential diplomatic reports so it's not it's kind of been leaked it's not really in the public domain but obviously it makes sense that they want to announce some significant uh, partnerships or deals or incentives for for countries in the developing economies such as Southeast Asia to help with the energy transition at, at COP27. India though is is not so keen and discussions have not been progressed so far. Um, they're more keen to discuss getting financial backing for their renewable en- energy industry rather than phasing out the coal industry. And um, it's worth pointing out that both Indonesia and Vietnam rely heavily on coal-fired power generation. Uh, if you if you see our story online, we've got some nice charts in there that demonstrate how, how significant coal is in the energy mix in those countries and, and how difficult it would be to replace such a significant amount of energy in such a short space of time. And um, it's unclear from the reports what the suggested alternative energy sources are, Um one report mentioned that the g7 donors plus norway and denmark which are also involved in in these uh uh cash cash advances bribes whatever you want to call them um and 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 apparently the 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 idea to to replace coal is with um solar and battery storage could has been suggested by uh u.s climate envoy john kerry now um that that's quite simplistic so and we won't go into that just yet um the donors told indonesia they should aim for a 2030 peak in power sector emissions uh, before heading to zero by 2050 um indonesia has objected to uh, the proposed timeline for rolling out renewable energy and cutting coal subsidies and they've demanded more money to accelerate the retirement of coal plants um Vietnam's a bit upset it's only been offered 5 billion and wants the same as Indonesia which is 10 billion so you know it remains to be seen whether what will happen it'll be an interesting week with COP27 coming up and then we have the B20 and G20 meeting summits in Bali the following weekend with a whole round of you know new energy energy transition stuff going on and announcements expected to be made so expecting a lot of news over the next week or two Uh, other climate funds have also proposed to give 500 million to indonesia to accelerate the the closure of coal-fired power um that that's been publicly announced and that's the climate investment funds cif um but yeah so it all Sounds a bit like Western countries trying to dictate energy policy to emerging economies, and there's been suggestions um, that this is kind of like bribery. And uh, I posted this story on my LinkedIn profile, and it's 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 had like six and a half thousand impressions oh, wow. so far. So and it created quite a lot of commentary, um, which which was interesting. So I, I might read a few. A few of the the comments that were put online. Okay, buckle in, everyone. Yeah, I'm not going to name names, <laughs> but I'm just going to highlight a few of the because it's quite. Yeah, okay, I'll highlight a few of the comments first. And um, one one of the first comments was, you know, who's going to reimburse the private sector coal companies and their employees and stakeholders that would lose out in Indonesia? Uh, for for example, one Indonesian company, Adaro's net profit is in excess of two billion U.S. dollars a year. So that's already a significant amount of money, and I expect they're very powerful players in, in the Indonesian economy. Uh, another source said, you know, it's going to take more than a few billion to quit coal altogether, and um, and 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 they were a bit peeved that those G7 countries are still relying on coal themselves. Um, there was a lot of um, a lot of people highlighted that how Germany are restarting coal, and even Denmark has got Ostad restarting coal and oil. And, um, and at the same time, these countries are are kind of pushing these developing nations to stop using coal. A very interesting comment, I thought, and I'm going to read this is, um, you can be sure it's a bribe ahead of installing hundreds of billions of dollars of centralized wind farms with government guaranteed tariffs and the like to rape the electricity markets forever. G7 investors, vested interest, pension funds are all desperate for multi-decade income in producing assets this is a big driver behind trying to discredit coal and take over the power station industry worldwide um, centralized power station ownership means electricity prices are ever increasing and the public have no protection now that you would expect that comment to come from like a really pro fossil fuel <laughs> type of person but when i when i looked at it they're actually in the a very well educated in physics and sciences and they're actually in hydrogen they make electrolyzers so so that kind of perked my interest and um and in some ways what what this guy is saying and it makes a lot of sense is that say vietnam for example there is a lot of interest in the offshore wind industry there and you do have a lot of the uk and danish and norwegian developers coming in and saying well yeah we're really interested and excited about this market but we need certain things to be able to invest here and, and to develop and, and, and you can kind of, I can kind of get where that guy was coming from with the point that, you know, they're, they're effectively who who really gains from, from this, this subtle push or, or not so subtle push. But uh, yeah, I found it interesting that it generated so much in, well, it, yeah, it was, it's good that people are actually prepared to come out and, debate a bit about this now whereas before a lot of people would just like keep quiet and not really voice their you know anything that was you know create dispute or controversy etc so it's kind of interesting I thought that that, that that has changed.
0: Yeah, I, I think, yeah, it's it's definitely interesting to see that conversation playing out. I think some of those comments are particularly interesting, as you say, uh, Damon. Um, I, I guess maybe just very quickly before we move on from this section, it's maybe a, a good chance to reflect a little bit. You know, as, as you say, it's hard to believe it's been a year since uh, the summit in Glasgow and, and, and obviously so much of, uh, I guess, the consternation. Um, a, a lot of people came out of that. Describing it as quite watered down, uh, the pledge that was uh, uh, eventually arrived at. You know, the the UK, uh, the who which held the presidency, um, argued that the deal they got kept the dream of 1.5 degrees warming alive. Um, much of the watered down element of that was to do with uh, places like, like you say, Damon, uh, India, for example, um, not so keen to include this reference to a phase out of coal rather than um, maybe just a phase down. Um, and as, as you say, it's, it is important that we look at the complexity of and the nuance of you know emerging economies in Southeast Asia. India itself, obviously, is, is a huge population, but fast becoming a, a, a major power in its own right. But yeah, I don't know. It's interesting to see how this will play out. Does it bode well for COP27? I think a lot of countries were, were, well, they were told to come back to Egypt with uh, increased pledges uh, on the back of what was agreed in Glasgow. I'm not sure everyone's done that, or prepared them yet. um, So I'm not sure how well that bodes a couple of days out. But uh, yes, we shall see. Um, But no, for now, thanks, Damon. Thanks for that analysis. Very interesting. Um, So next up, just stop me if you've heard this one before. As well
1: as these regular weekly news roundups on Energy Voice Out Loud, you'll also find lots of subject-specific box sets in the same feed. And I'm excited to be the anchor for one called the Megawatt Hour. Produced in paid partnership with BDO, the Megawatt Hour brings together experts from across the energy industry and across the world to examine the challenges and the opportunities of energy storage. As more of the grid gets its power from intermittent renewables, energy storage technologies, and batteries in particular, are going to be an increasingly important feature of our infrastructure. Over the course of 10 monthly episodes, we'll be diving deep into the tech, the policy and the challenges of building out energy storage to help you better understand its opportunities wherever you work in the energy sector. Look out for episodes of the Megawatt Hour in Energy Voice Out Loud, as well as lots of other special episodes wherever you get your podcasts.
0: So uh, rolling out the Energy Voice greatest hits this week, Um, as oil majors round off their third quarter results, uh, profits which have been described by many as obscene. Uh, Obviously, the the good old uh, windfall tax discussion has reared its head again in force. Uh, As things stand, it's looking very likely indeed. We'll see an expansion not only in the rate of tax, but the amount of time it'll be applied for when the UK's autumn budget is unveiled in a, oof, a couple of weeks' time, I think it's November 17th, by uh, Chancellor Jeremy Hunt. Um, so as much as this might sound like a bit of a broken record, uh, there have been, I assure you, some some developments this week which have moved the narrative on a little bit. Um, every three months or so, I think we're going to be coming back here until the the tax is hiked again every time we get these these profits results so t- to set the scene um on sunday just past the nationals reported that you know the tax rate could increase by another 5% and uh, effectively have its deadline its its sunset clause if you like extended from 2025 through to 2028 under the plans being mulled by uh, Rishi Sunak and Jeremy Hunt. Uh, Obviously, that's come amid a wave of huge profits from the majors. BP reported, I think, net earnings nearly three times as large as the same period last year. That's for the third quarter. I think it was about $8.2 billion. Uh, Recently, Shell posting profits, I think, of $11.4 billion with uh, an important point to Bear in mind within all this conversation is that there's a lot of money going back into shareholder returns and buybacks. I think Shell we're looking at four billion dollars to be sent back to shareholders by way of buybacks on the way. uh, They paid nothing in windfall tax. uh, Shell um, due to an incentive scheme during the quarter. Um, basically, if if you pay if you invest enough, it means that you reduce the amount that you will be paying in tax. Uh, and BP's profits, you know, they came with a note saying this year we're going to pay $2.5 billion in uh, North Sea taxes this year, including $800 million in windfall tax. They described the UK as accounting for about 15% of their global earnings. Uh, the first nine months of the year, that's $22.8 billion globally. Uh, so the UK about 15% of that and and a couple of, of things here i mean again that bp tax figure 2.5 billion dollars that's you know the same amount that they're going to spend uh that's that's a yearly figure and just this quarter alone um they're going to be executing 2.5 billion dollars of shareholder um buybacks so it kind of shows uh you know okay they're paying taxes but you know it's 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 it kind of pales in comparison to the the profits they're making and certainly the returns uh, they're giving to to shareholders and it feels unlikely we'll see arguments against extending the the windfall tax holding much water in light of this, especially when we've got the CEOs of big oil actually advocating, saying, "Yes, come, you know, tax us more. We understand, we appreciate the the problems here um, for society. You know, we can take it, um, and we realise this is a fact of life." Now that's that's not to say the windfall tax will have no impact on north sea companies as i said there's an incentive 91 pence back for every pound you spend effectively now that only works if you're investing and you've got a portfolio that allows you to invest if you've got a a big project coming up fantastic you're incentivized you're going to get after that thanks to this windfall tax but there are companies out there which are staunchly against it and, funnily enough, are you know maybe not the ones that have massive projects ahead. Um, there were some interesting comments this week from the CEO of Harbour Energy, Linda Cook, uh, said there will be consequences on other aspects. She pointed specifically to uh, carbon capture and storage, for example, which uh, Harbour is a big investor in the UK, Acorn in Aberdeenshire, uh, VNet Zero, or, or Viking CCS in the Humber, as it's called. You know, CCS, for those who don't know, it's obviously uh, been... Uh, deemed a, a vital technology to uh, abate emissions uh, internationally, um, so if if a, if a Harbour Energy were to pull out of a project like that, citing the windfall tax, I think maybe that would merit some reassessment. But again, you know, you need that, or you need big oil and big big oil and gas to pull out of a major project like Rosebank. But again, you know, Rosebank's oil and gas uh, project that would be. Uh, incentivized through this tax. So, you know, it's a bit tricky. I, I don't see this holding much water. Uh, and uh, leading up to the, the autumn budget, there's a £40 billion black hole, uh, fiscal black hole we're looking at, uh, according to the UK government. So I'm just not so sure that um, any arguments against extending it are going to be holding much water at this point. Um, but I've waffled on for too long. What do you guys think?
1: Well, what are they going to do with all this money, this tax, if they tax them? Where where does it go? Is it anywhere specific? Is it to, to increase the, the sustainability of the UK's energy system or does it just go into the black hole?
0: Well, uh, I, I don't really know. I guess it probably will be the black hole. I know that, you know, obviously in the run-up to the 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 price cap announcement. Um, there was a lot of discussion about using the windfall tax profits to um, help pay for that. Uh, it sounds like it's going to be um, effectively invested in in areas across across the board in in the UK. Obviously, we have so much pressure on uh, on the budget with uh, inflation and the the coming recession that we've been hearing about. So uh, yeah, it's not entirely clear where it is getting invested i stand to be corrected on that please do phone in dear listener um if, if i'm if i'm mistaken but yeah i, I don't know and, and hopefully we'll get a bit more clarity on that if indeed uh this extension is is confirmed um on the 17th but um but yeah i mean again you know we had um offshore energies uk uh, they they sent a letter uh, to rishi sunak i think it was or was it jeremy hunts this week um Kind of asking for an urgent meeting um, in you know in light of what's being discussed, but um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. They, you know, they want an, an urgent meeting with the chancellor due to this ongoing uncertainty. You know, uh, encouraging some companies to exit the basin. I mean, I think if they did exit, that would be a big blow, and that would make probably make a, a big point to um, to uh, to Sunak and Hunt. But uh, there might be an element of we'll call your bluff on that one. How easily are you going to be able to exit the North Sea? Um, are you going to find a buyer for your assets? How are you going to do that? You know, uh, in the meantime, we've got this this hole to plug, and you're making massive profits. Harbour itself, you know, uh, for, for, for for the for the um, arguments they're making, they're still returning sh- making returns to shareholders as well. They're a business, but you know, when you look at the figures that are being put back in. Again, I think it just makes it a bit more tricky to, to hold any water there.
1: Well, I think with Harbour, um, I mean, they, they seem to make some interesting comments about having to geographically diversify mm. because of the uncertainty in the UK. And I think, you know, last week I'm sure we were talking about the uncertainty in the UK. And it's like every week there's something changing or uncertain. And it's just... Bad for business. It's You know, it's bonkers. Um, but I did have one question on the Acorn or Viking CCS, whatever it's called, that harbours investing in. Can they get a tax rebate or refund? Is that eligible for the the refund kind of tax rebate you were talking about?
0: I I, I need to have a quick look back. I mean, I, I know when Rishi Sunak was up in Aberdeen when he was Chancellor, uh, which feels a long time ago, but this is around the time the windfall tax was first announced. Um, there was talk about uh, you know, whether or not you'll get rebates for things like energy transition projects. I think the answer to that from memory was yes for things like platform electrification. Um I don't think CCS is covered by virtue of it not it kind of is oil and gas but not really if you if that makes sense. So um maybe there does need to be a bit more consideration of the fact that well actually um you know the companies that are investing in you know more oil and gas production. They're also investing in things like carbon capture and storage. I think Harbour is quite interesting because they're kind of most exposed because they are yes, they're investing in CCS, but they've just got such a broad portfolio in the North Sea that you can see why that might just come to a head for them. But no, I, I'm not. I'm not sure, Damon, I'll have to double check that. But uh, I know it was definitely a point of discussion at some point in recent months. But. uh but yeah, we'll we'll see how that plays out. We've only got a, a week or so to go, so to find out how, how it happens. So we'll uh, we'll park that there for now. And next up we'll go to Hamish for the latest on a shareholder revolt over at Reabold Resources. Energy Voice investigates and reports on what matters in global energy, helping sector leaders understand the geopolitical
1: and economic factors underpinning current events and giving them a view on what's coming over the horizon. Each year, 3.4 million professionals use Energy Voice as a trusted source of breaking news and insight. Subscribers to Energy Voice receive unlimited access to the Energy Voice website, including premium content, free and discounted special reports and additional content, free access to the Energy Voice live app featuring a personalized feed, and priority access to Energy Voice events. For a 30-day free trial subscription to the Energy Voice website and app, visit energyvoice.com
0: subscriptions. Join the global energy conversation with Energy Voice so Hamish uh, for those not up to speed uh, and I sure wasn't up to speed coming off uh, coming off a holiday when I had to write about this uh, not too long ago what's been happening over at Riobold?
2: you mean you weren't keeping up with the ongoings at Riobold where you were sat by the pool in Mexico uh
0: yeah uh, I you know I, I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to but you know there was just one too many tequila sunrises and I was said to myself they, the boys can handle this <laughs> they can they can handle this
2: well for those not in the know, um all is not Rosy at Riobold, not all happy Family is there at the moment, um, so let's go back a, a few weeks now. So, uh, then the company announced that a minor shareholder group called Pershing Nominees, they own just shy of about seven percent of the company, uh, was trying to oust the uh, the company's board, which I was very happy with, purely for the reason that I like the word "oust" and we don't use it <laughs> enough. Um, so, Pershing called for a general meeting. Uh, Rehobald replied then there were some deficiencies in the request and advised them of what needed to be changed which was very civil of them like telling the executioner giving him tips on where best to to chop off your heads which I I thought was quite a a very civil way of going about things Mm. Uh, Pershing then went back and uh, a requisition meeting is now pencilled in for November 16th Uh, so I spoke to Rehobald's co-CEOs about this a couple of weeks ago Um, and I also tracked down on LinkedIn one of the four people uh, that's being put forward by Pershing as replacement board members should this vote go through. Now, Real have accused this group of shareholders of opportuni- opportunistically trying to gain control of the company. Um, just as it comes into some money, they've had this recent deal with Shell um, that will eventually net them over £12 million. That was for Real subsidiary Corallion. Uh, they also spoke about their asset portfolio. They've got stakes in five or so North Sea licenses, and they say they think these shareholders are trying to get them on the cheap. And um, Sasha Nozer and Stephen Williams, the, uh, the co-CEOs, while acknowledging that their share price isn't where they, they yet want it to be, basically said, there is no Rehobald without us. Um, so on the other side of the fence, Cathal Friel, who was one of the members of of this Persian group, um, he said he's nursing a substantial loss. He said Reobold should have been able to perform vastly better than many of its peers in the oil and gas sector. And he just says to replace the current board, So he wants to install some, some new blood with fresh ideas to to deliver better performances. So having spoken to both sides, they're both pretty optimistic about their chances of success when shareholders come to vote. Um, but Rio has kind of made a move to, to butter up its backers. Uh, this week it announced plans to farm into a Shell North Sea licence near the Pensacola prospect. That's a pretty... I think we're all looking to see how that comes out. It's quite a good deal of expectation on it. Um, A
0: lot of expectation for an exploration prospect, isn't there? Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, I I think more so as well, because there's been a few duds recently, Mm -hmm. um, like Edinburgh and that stuff. So a lot riding on this one. Um, For what it's worth, I don't think this requisition will go through. It may well be the case that Rehobald should have performed and, and be performing better. But with its kind of recent wheeling and dealing, it seems to be heading in the right direction. Like I said, it's just come into some money. It's got these prospects that it's looking to progress and and others that it's looking to bring into its portfolio. So it would seem an odd time to change now, but been wrong about a lot of things in, in the past, and so we'll wait and see. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, I, I off the back of those comments, I did have a wee look at the share price. I mean, uh, this week up seven percent. Um, perhaps, as you say, uh, Hamish, the the the, the management seem to be getting a good bit of uh, momentum behind them now with the this the Shell deal and and getting things together. I mean, down by a third. Over the last six months, though, despite you know the rising oil and gas prices, which have lifted so many of their their peers up clearly, um, and I guess RioBald, I mean, I'm trying to think about why that might be. I, I, I don't, I don't really know. Obviously, they've got fracking, at Rehobald and and that's kind of U-turned in policy of late. I, I doubt that was. The main driver, uh, I guess. Also, I suppose for me, anyway, I'm just totally um, speculating here. The the link with Carillion hasn't always been entirely clear to me with RioTauls, and I just wonder if any of that is seeping through as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it does feel a little bit like, you know, they've they've got this shell deal through now. Um, maybe they should have struck a bit earlier um, if they're wanting to oust them out the board. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see what plays out. It will be very interesting to see. Uh, what comes of Pensacola with Deltic and Shell, um, which is next to this license you mentioned? I mean, that is that has got to be one of the major uh, high impact exploration wells yeah. this year that's been talked about and talked about and talked about. And as you say, we've had so many duds. Uh, Shell's had a few duds, um, and that's just the nature of exploration, I suppose. But you know, if if that if Pensacola was a hit, and Rio are are, are are farming into this other license next door to it, then that really is. A series of wins for the the management at the moment, which I think would would probably put them in in the best possible position for this kind of vote. We won't know that until some time from now, of course. So maybe maybe a moot point.
2: But yeah, oh, yeah, it could, this could all be wildly out of date within within two weeks. But. Uh, yeah, looking at it, I think that, that's the case, and, and they have been quite clear about how they plan to use this twelve million. The first, I think they've got the first three or four million already through, with with more to come. Looking to to progress these these pr- um, prospects that they've got. Is, I, mean, I think it's five of things uh, that they've uh, taken on from Corallion as part of that deal. Obviously, victory went to Shell, um, which is another pretty major gas play, um, and looking to take on new. Uh, Take on new assets and grow that portfolio as well. So, to have been so clear with the aims for using this cash, I think is no bad thing. And they do also have, I mean, their kind of modus operandi as a company is to buy prospects, build them up, and then sell them on to the likes of Shell, having having progressed them further. So, kind of the victory life, I suppose, the recent described it as the, the kind of perfect way that Rearboard does business. So. If they're able to grow their, their asset base even further, then that opens up a lot of possibilities for them to, to kind of repeat and, and keep going. But they've got this onshore prospect as well at, um, at West Newton, I think it is. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with that as well. Just on that fracking point, I did, did speak to them um, briefly about it, although I think at that point, fracking was still in the good books, but that's changed, changed dramatically. <laughs> a
0: week's a long time in Westminster, isn't yeah, yeah, exactly. it?
2: Uh... So, um, so what they said was what they had today, but I think they were quite—they were very much um, along the line of, "We'll only do it if it chimes with the community and and, and we can do enough um, prove do enough tests and prove that it's not going to be uh, causing the tremors that we've seen at um, the site in—is it Lancaster? In the New Preston site."
0: Yeah, it's. I mean, I, I, you only need to look at the you know Groningen um, over uh, in the Netherlands where shells base, and and you think to yourself, mm, is this fracking idea a good one? Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll see how that plays. Um, okay, uh, thank you, Hamish. Some good insight there into this uh, shareholder spat. We'll certainly keep a close eye on this meeting ahead. And uh, yeah, I'm going to oust myself from this podcast now. That is it for this week's Energy Voice Out Loud. Thank you to Damon and Hamish for joining me. I've been Arthur Thomas, and thanks for listening.
1: Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com, sign up to our newsletter, and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector. Subscribe to Loud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Outloud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.